my parents lived directly between my house and church. I passed by their road every day at least twice on my way to church and home again. I can't tell you how many times I've been on my way to their house and drive right by the turn because I regularly drive by without turning in. Other times, I'll be going somewhere with Tracy and we're talking and then she'll look at me and she'll ask me if I know where I'm going. (laughs) Being the man I am, I instantly let her know that I'm quite aware of where I'm going and I just want to extend our time together by taking the scenic route. I have yet to convince her of that truth. There are a lot of things in my life that I do regularly that just become ordinary. But but now I want you to think about a significant moment in your life. How many of the details can you recall around that event? One of those for me was July 8th of the year 2000. Tracy and I had invited our friends Tom and Deb over to our house for pizza and wings from Pizzagram to watch the Tom Hanks movie, The Green Mile. After we ate, we put the movie on and Tracy excused herself. After a few minutes, when she didn't return, I went looking for her. I found her kneeling on the floor in the bathroom. I should mention that she was nine months pregnant at the time and she was now in full active labor. With years of training and experience as a paramedic, I knew exactly what to do. I went downstairs and told Debbie that Tracy needed her. (laughs) Of course, Deb is an ER doc, so at least I was handing her off to a higher level of care. I grabbed our go bag and off we went to the fourth floor of St. Peter's Hospital, where Sydney was born the following morning around nine. The details surrounding the birth of our first child are burned into my memory. I can honestly not recall what I had for dinner last night, but I can recall the pizza and wings from 22 years ago. I know that we rented the movie The Green Mile, and we're only about 20 minutes into the movie when our evening took a different direction. I also know that we've never actually watched the rest of The Green Mile. I can retrace our steps to the hospital with Tracy yelling at me for hitting every single pothole on Western Ave, and I could draw a picture of the labor and delivery room from memory. I can recall being told that I needed to step out of the room for her epidural, which I was not happy with, and how relieved Tracy was when she got it, which she was happy with. I remember details of that day with striking clarity. Sounds, smells, emotions. I was fully present and felt fully alive. It was a good day indeed. I'm sure that you have the same experience. You don't remember the ordinary activities of life, but are able to recall with striking clarity the details of the big events. An ordinary evening becomes an extraordinary event. There exist these moments in our lives that we should not let become ordinary. This morning, we are going to take part in communion together. Communion is one of those things that we do regularly in our church experience. 
Here at BCC, we do this once a month. Other churches do it weekly, some even more frequently than that. There's a risk to us doing something regularly that it just becomes, well, something ordinary. There there exists a risk to our spiritual, emotional, and physical well-beings when we fail to fully acknowledge the extraordinary in the regular routines of life. The risk is that being absent, us seeing and experiencing God in all his glory among the mundane, we will be tempted to chase after false experiences that may produce highly emotional outcomes but be completely devoid of God's glory. So as we come together today to share in the Lord's Supper, I wanted to take this time to challenge you and to challenge me to think deeply about communion and what it means to come to the table. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for this invitation to come to the table. Lord, I just ask that our hearts would be open, that our ears would hear and our eyes would see your glory. I ask, Father, that the words that I would speak would not be my words, but be yours. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint my lips. For, Father, I have nothing to offer except to come to you, knees bent, hands opening, saying, Lord, use me. And so, Father, we need to hear from you, so take over this morning. May words of life come forth, and may hearts receive it, Lord. Some may receive encouragement this morning from what is shared, and Father, you are the author of encouragement. Others may receive conviction, and Holy Spirit, that is a gift. A gift of godly sorrow to bring us to repentance and deepen our faith in you. And Father, yet there are others here who have not surrendered their lives to you. And I ask, Father, that you would do only what you are capable of doing, and that is drawing people to yourself. And so, Father, we look with anticipation in a glorious way of what you are going to do now. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come. When we think of the word come, I think of it as an invitation. When somebody invites Tracy or I for dinner, they say, come join us at our home. It's an invitation to participate with them. This is opposed to the word go. Like Tracy often saying, can you go to the store and pick me up something? She isn't coming with me. It's not a joint exercise. This is an independent action. Come implies a desire to be a part of something, to belong, which is why I find it so important that Jesus' call to his disciples and to each one of us starts with come. Come and follow me. Come and join me. Come and see. And today he is calling us to come to his table. And that's the first point for today. The Lord's table is a place. I have been in many churches and celebrated communion in many different ways. But one thing that they all had in common was a table. 
They come in all different sizes and styles, some simple and some fancy, some decorative and some plain. But there's always a table. But here's the thing. And as my kids would say, oh, there's a thing. Well, yes, there's a thing, and here's it, here it is. The first communion that Jesus presided over at the Last Supper on that Passover was not a table like the one depicted in da Vinci's Last Supper painting. Jesus and the disciples all ate reclining to the left on the floor with pillows, as was Jewish tradition, for the Passover meal. The food would have been in bowls and on plates, either directly on the floor or on a very small table just inches off the ground. But the space in the middle of where they were reclining, where food and ceremonial items were set before them, that would have been referred to as the table. And so whether there was a low table or no table is immaterial to the significance of the last meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. What is, a, what is significant is that Jesus is inviting us to join him there. We see this in Luke twenty-two fourteen, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This past week, I was listening to Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary and a great theologian and Christian apologist. He has a daily podcast called The Briefing. He refers to it as news and events from a Christian worldview. And as I've shared before, I highly recommend it. This week, he shared an article that was written in the Wall Street Journal about a recent study that detailed that the number of times that a family has a meal together on a weekly basis, is now at the lowest point ever recorded. These secular social scientists actually went further, and they were able to correlate what is now the highest rate of childhood depression to the lack of families joining together for a meal. Nearly 45% of adolescents and teens report that they have experienced significant hopelessness, and depression. The reason for the lack of a family coming together for a meal, you guessed it, busyness. Overcommitted kids and perhaps undercommitted parents. But it was these social scientists who made the connection between de depression in kids and the lack of a family coming together for a meal. What they also found is not surprising that the quality of the mealtime mattered. The presence of screens, phones, tablets, even a TV that was playing in the background significantly reduced the benefit of a family's mealtime together. And just in case you are wondering, a meal eaten in the car from a drive through on the way to soccer practice is not the same as sitting around a table. Now, why am I mentioning this article this morning? Because Jesus is inviting us to a place, his table. And we need to make this a priority, just like you need to make family meals a priority in your home. And we need to come to that table without distractions. Jesus earnestly desired to eat the meal with his disciples. And we should earnestly desire to meet him there. 
Jesus' invitation wasn't just a place. His invitation to join him at the Lord's table has a purpose, which is our second point this morning. Jesus knew what was to come following his last meal with his disciples. He knew that he was to be betrayed, arrested, denied, beaten, scourged, mocked, and then nailed to a cross where he would die with the sins of the world upon him. And yet, he looked forward. He desired to spend this time with them. Jesus had been teaching and training his followers for this very time. He knew that his time had come, and he wanted to reveal the fullness of what had been and what was to come. When Jesus sat with the disciples and he gave them bread and a cup, twice he told, this, told them, do this in remembrance of me. Short and simple. When we take communion, we think of Jesus. He is our focus. He is our reason for being here. So the purpose of communion is to remember him. The Lord's table is a memorial to Jesus' suffering. During communion, we break bread and we share it as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24 read, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The breaking of bread is significant. In communion. It was only after Jesus broke the bread that he told his disciples, This is my body, which is for you. And so it's not just the bread, but the broken bread that represents Christ's suffering in his body. As we take the bread that has been broken, we should remember Jesus' sufferings. We should especially remember his physical sufferings in the body. We should remember his agony of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We should remember his unlawful arrest in the middle of the night. We should remember his unfair trial and the false accusations brought against him. We should remember Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial, and his disciples abandoning him at the greatest hour of human need. We should remember the brutal treatment he received at the hands of the soldiers, We should remember the mocking, the blindfolding, the spitting, the beating with fists, the slaps in the face, the crown of thorns pushed into his skull. We should remember the whipping and scourging by the Roman guards, the carrying of the cross, the nailing of the hands and the feet. Jesus broke the bread and told his disciples, this body. This is for you. 1 Corinthians 11.25 continues and said, In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup is a reminder of Jesus' death. It's a symbol of Jesus' blood poured out in death upon the cross. The pouring out of blood in Scripture is always a symbol of a violent death. And so the cup is a reminder not only that Jesus died, but that he was killed. 
Jesus did not die of old age. It wasn't an accident or an illness. He was executed for a crime that he did not commit. He was killed in one of the most brutal and painful ways known to man. He experienced nerve damage from the nails, hunger, thirst, exhaustion, and he slowly suffocated upon the cross. The cup is a reminder of all of this. So the purpose of the Lord's table is to remember his suffering, but it's also to remember why Jesus suffered. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus went to the cross in perfect obedience to the Father's perfect will to pay for your sins and mine. Jesus did not go unwillingly to the cross. He did not just die a martyr's death. He went to the cross for a purpose. He went there to die in our place so that our sins would be forgiven. This is why we pause before taking communion to examine our lives and to confess our sins before the Lord. We remember why Jesus suffered and died so that we might be forgiven of ours. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was poured out as a substitutionary atonement for you and for me. We deserve the death that Jesus received. We deserve the consequences of our having fallen short of the glory of God. The woman who was caught in adultery that Travis shared with us just a few short weeks ago, she deserved the punishment of death for her sins. But so did everyone who picked up a rock to stone her. And so do you, and so do I. Our sin is an offense to a holy and a righteous God and is worthy of the just punishment. But God, in his mercy, from the very foundation of the world, established not a plan, but the best plan that brings him immeasurable glory and that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son for the forgiveness of sin for those who would come to him. Repent and be saved. So when Jesus told that woman, and he tells us to go and to sin no more, he is offering forgiveness and salvation that is only possible through him. If communion was only about remember, remembering Jesus' suffering and death, then we would make communion a pretty depressing time. There's a, certainly a solemn side to communion, but communion should also be a time of celebration. We were separated from God because of our sin, but Christ died so that we might be forgiven. Praise the Lord. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant required the sacrifice of animals as prescribed by the law, but God made a new covenant with us in Christ Jesus. Jesus was the final sacrifice for sins, And whoever puts their faith in him is forgiven. John 6, 35 through 37 reads this way. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I, have said, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. <clears throat> so thank God the Father for his great love in sending Christ. Thank God the Son for laying down his life for us. Thank God the Holy Spirit for coming into your life and washing you clean. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, it is because Jesus first invited you to come. God the Father has graciously drawn you to himself and sat you down at the table with his son, not because of anything righteous that you have done, but simply by his own goodness and his own grace. Salvation is not by works. It is the gracious gift of God, which is received by faith in Jesus. And so the Lord's table is a place of celebration, a place to celebrate God's forgiveness and grace. The Lord's table is a place and a purpose, but a meal is best enjoyed with company, which brings us to our third point. The Lord's table is a people. The Lord's table is a place to share in Christian fellowship. Fellowship first and foremost with Christ and then fellowship with one another. First, we share in fellowship with the risen Christ. There is a reason why we actually eat, and eat the bread and drink the cup in communion. Have you ever actually thought about that? If the Lord's Supper was just a time to remember Jesus and celebrate God's forgiveness, we wouldn't have to eat or drink anything. We could simply lay out the bread and the cup as reminders we could break the bread as symbolic of Christ's suffering, and we could just pour out the cup to symbolize his death. But Jesus instructs us to eat the bread and drink the cup. Why is that? It's because partaking of the Lord's Supper, we share in fellowship with Christ. Just as food and drink nourish us physically, so Christ nourishes us spiritually. He is the vine. We are the branches. We get our spiritual life from him. Psalm 34, 8 says it this way, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not taste physically, but rather come experience fellowship with Christ and see that it is good. Now, there's three basic views on how we share in fellowship with Christ through the Lord's Supper. The first view we would call the physical presence of Christ in the elements. This is known as the doctrine of transubstantiation, which teaches that the bread and the wine are physically changed into the body and blood of Christ so that you are feeding upon Christ's actual body and blood in the Lord's Supper. This is the traditional Catholic view of communion. Others believe there is a spiritual presence of Christ in the bread and in the cup I don't believe that either of these is supported by what the Bible teaches. I believe that the Bible teaches the memorial presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, that Christ is present among us in a special way when we share the Lord's Supper together. But there's nothing magical or supernatural in the elements themselves. The bread 
remains bread. The grape juice remains grape juice. These are symbols of Christ's suffering and his death, and we partake of them and take them into our bodies. They remind us of the rich fellowship that we share with Christ through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So this is how we share in fellowship with Christ. But there's also a very important aspect of fellowship with one another. Notice that we do not eat the bread and drink the cup alone. We share in the Lord's Supper together. The bread is not only symbolic of Christ's body and suffering, but also of the church. 1 Corinthians 10.17 reads, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As believers in Christ, we partake of the one loaf together. We are reminded that Christ lives within each one of us through the Holy Spirit, and we have fellowship with one another. When the Bible speaks of the one another, it's referring to believers. We, who are fellow believers around the world, professed, Bible-believing, born-again, mind-renewed, hearts-made-new, Christ-followers. Christ is the bread of life. He is the one bread whom we all partake of and never hunger again. And so while we partake together as a church family, we are joined as one body with all of those who call upon the name of Jesus. True Christian fellowship always has both this vertical and horizontal dimension. We share in fellowship with Christ and we share in fellowship with each other. The Lord's table is that place to share in Christian fellowship together. I think that this is why Paul warns the Corinthian church not to take the bread and a cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner and to examine oneself. Our hearts must be right, not only in our fellowship with the Lord, but also with one another. Jesus' command to his disciples and to us is to love one another. And why does he say that we are called to love one another? So the world will know that we are his disciples. I want to turn to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Our examination of ourselves should not be restricted to doing business with God. It may require us to do business with one another. Please hear my heart. If you have some offense against a brother or a sister here, including your own spouse, your child, or even me, then you need to be reconciled to them before you come to the Lord's table. I know that even as I say it, there are those here who are convicted and need to make something right before you receive communion. I want to encourage you to do so. Maybe it's a simple acknowledgement of hurt 
Maybe it's just a hug and an apology, a hand on the back or a smile and a nod. It does not require a full vetting of the circumstances, just in knowing that Jesus died on the cross for you both and that his work is finished. So the other person doesn't need to be nailed to their own cross and you don't need to be nailed to yours. Jesus rose in victory and he calls us to rise with him. I encourage you not to leave here unreconciled. Do not receive communion until you have been. I promise I will stay here personally as long as it takes. And I will serve you communion when you come back to the altar. So the Lord's table is a place. It's a purpose. It's a people. And now we will conclude with the Lord's table is a plan. The Lord's table is a place to anticipate Christ's return. 1 Corinthians 11.26 For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Here's the plan. Jesus is coming back. The Lord's table makes us that promise. Jesus is coming back. Jesus proclaimed the coming of God's kingdom. In one sense, the kingdom arrived when Jesus arrived in the world 2,000 years ago. But that was just the beginning. God's kingdom continues to advance in this world through the Holy Spirit and the church and in the lives of believers. But the kingdom will not come in its fullness until Christ returns and makes all things right. And so the Lord's Supper not only looks backwards in history to Christ and the cross, it looks forward in time to when Christ will return. We remember Jesus and what he has done for us, and we look forward to Jesus and his soon return. Luke records it this way in Luke twenty-two eighteen. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus said these words as he was holding the third cup of the Passover Seder meal. This was the cup of redemption, the cup representing God's promise of redeeming his people from slavery. But there's a fourth cup, the final cup of the Passover Seder meal that Jesus did not drink with his disciples. This is the cup of praise which comes from Exodus chapter 6, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Jesus promises us that when he returns, we will join him in sharing the cup of praise as we find fulfillment in the promise of him gathering his people to himself. I'd like to close with an invitation this morning. It's a dinner invitation of sorts. All are invited. All are welcome. It's an invitation to come to the Lord's table. The only requirement is that you come through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Come remembering Jesus' suffering and his death and that he did it for you to save you from your sins. Come celebrating God's forgiveness and grace as you receive God's gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Come sharing in Christian fellowship with Christ in heaven and with your brothers and sisters in Christ right here on earth. And come anticipating Christ's return when Jesus will make all things right again and you will spend eternity with God. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Come to the table of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, this is such an unbelievable invitation. It is overwhelming for me to even think about, to contemplate the fullness of what it is that you are inviting us to. Father, it is a place, and we are joined together in that place. Lord, you have a purpose in us coming together to remember your suffering and to remember why you came. That was plan A right from the very beginning. There were no mistakes. Father, we thank you that there is a purpose in us joining together. We join together, Father, not Alone, we join together as a people in fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. So, Father, I just ask now in these moments that we would not only do business with you, that we could do business with one another. If that, Lord, is what you have set upon anyone's heart. Father, I also ask that if anybody here who has not surrendered their lives to you, that the gospel call is drawing them to you. Holy Spirit, have your way revealing who Jesus truly is and who we are in sight of him. That we are desperate sinners who are in need of a savior that godly sorrow would fall. Conviction would bring about repentance. Repentance would bring about life as someone passes from death to life, surrendering themselves to you. And Father, your plan right from the very beginning is so evident as we come to the table. You're coming back. Hallelujah and amen. As we come to the table, Lord, may you renew our hearts. May you renew our minds. May we have a greater thirst and desire for you, Lord, now than ever before. We join you at your table now. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.